0: So it's really not been my plan or intention to dwell on the financial crisis going on. But typically if you're in a situation where your employer doesn't pay you and you're owed a significant sum of money to where you have to go to court and it's actually worth your while to file a court case, chances are it's going to hit your pocketbook and it's gonna hit your pocketbook in a negative way. You have to remember if you've listened to prior podcasts, you realize that not everybody comes from money. And even if you have an advanced level degree, that does not mean you've got a trust fund, a, cre- a credit worthy co-signer, or family to pay for you. Doesn't mean you live in the hometown you grew up in. Doesn't mean you've got a whole bunch of friends or you live in a commune or anything like that. No. Nah. So honestly, years and years ago, there's definitely been a lot of stigma regarding public assistance. And I don't know how many of you may be listeners in the United States, but for those of you who aren't, I'll certainly give you a little insight on what that experience is like, sort of how people view it and things like that. So it kind of seems like lately the stigma around public assistance has changed in the United States. But honestly, I can't say it with certainty, but it does feel like that's one of those positive things of modern modern times. Because way, way back in the day, basically it's kind of been perceived and there's been this long notion that if you were on public assistance, you're basically a deadbeat, that you're somebody that has no skills, or you're lazy, you're unproductive. There's just been a lot of horrible stereotypes about it. And a lot of people, even if they need it, are very reluctant to apply for it, and they feel like, if I get it, well, that's me being lazy, that's being incompetent, that's being defective in some way, like what's wrong with me? That's how a lot of people perceive it. So I know that in my own experience, I had to get it back in 2015 or so. This was when I was going through a very nasty divorce. I mean, my ex-husband literally threw me out. I had very little money to my name. I had my mom who had helped me a little bit, but I literally didn't even have enough money to go rent a place. I was living with complete strangers. I was job hunting like you wouldn't believe, could not find anything suited. And I mean, sorry, when somebody has a certain level of education, when you've gotten a certain level of job experience, when you've done certain things in life, and especially if you've gotten on in years and you're more of an independent person, there are standards. And I think that everybody should have some minimum standards for themselves, one of which being that you're getting paid in a timely fashion in compliance with federal and state labor laws. I think another standard is that you should be treated with respect in the workplace. And I'm referring to basic human being respect that you're not being asked to work slavery hours or basically being asked to work more than 40 hours a week. When you're being given zero ownership interest, you're getting no equity whatsoever or having your schedule be subject to change at any time. I don't think you should have to be on call and basically make nothing whatsoever. That's gross in my opinion. I don't think you should be asked to work off the clock. That's also a violation of labor law, by the way. Just ask Walmart considering they had a Supreme Court case against them many years ago that said you basically were not allowed to make these employees work off the clock and they had to pay a bunch of money to employees that they put in that position. And it's very funny that I've seen some of these jobs at some of these firms and it's like, okay, I think I would be treated better at a Walmart. So I'm saying that and I know Walmart having that whole issue with paying people and not paying them properly for making them work off the clock it's like saying wow if I think that I would be treated better at a Walmart than I would be working at this law firm that's pretty bad in my book and in fact I've had to look at reviews of some of these places and I'm like yeah I'm not going to work there so I actually had an interview that went really well a couple of weeks ago and I'm waiting to hear results and I am praying and I am hoping that I would get this job because this sounds like a place that absolutely would be wonderful for me to work in. It would be my opportunity to get to do immigration law again, which I basically got cheated out of and the firm that I worked at before the one that stole a bunch of money from me. So I'm here praying, hoping that would solve so many problems. It would just help in so many ways. It would make me feel useful again. But still trying to plug on i'm trying to not focus on negativity i'm trying not to dwell on things and in the interim i actually heard from the state on my public assistance case that i applied for back before thanksgiving i got approved for it so i found okay so i have all this money in food stamps i have this money in cash and i actually already had a card because i've had medicaid for quite some time And this goes back to the days of 2015 when I applied for public assistance. And one thing, and I'm not going to tell you every single strategy in the world, but I feel like a lot of people should be aware of this because I know that I had to research some of this stuff and figure it out. But for one thing, I had to go to a job center for part of this. There was a whole involved process. And I'll try to tell a little bit about it, but condense it because I don't want this to be a long, long podcast. It could end up crazy long if I did that. But anyhow, in 2015, I was dealing with all kinds of stuff. I was pretty much at a point where I had gone to somebody else's apartment, basically the guy I call Coney Island guy, I was staying with him, and I was realizing this guy was not respectful when it came to food, like he was eating my food without permission, and that just annoys the hell out of me, drives me nuts. I'm not one of those people that's into communal food sharing unless that's your boyfriend or that's your husband or that's some other significant other. Like if I was a lesbian, then it'd be like my girlfriend, my wife, whoever. But I'm like, unless you actually have a relationship that you consented to, I don't think you should get to eat other people's food. Like I don't think your roommate who, and in my case, most of my roommates were not friends with me, they weren't people that I chose to live with. It was more like, okay, I'm just trying to deal with my financial house and I'm trying to be someplace that's in a reasonably safe neighborhood, where things are reasonably clean, there's obviously things available to me, like the shower works, the stove works, the oven works, things like that. So I feel like in those situations, it's like, okay, I should not have to share my food with you, and you sure as hell don't get to take my food when you didn't even ask me first. So in my situation, it turned out that this guy, I discovered, was eating food That I was using this money that I think my mom had given me money or I got food or something like that. And this guy was eating my food and I was just infuriated. So uh, combined with that along with the fact that my ex-husband had the nerve to ask me for alimony. Despite the fact that he had a union job and was in management by that point. So he wasn't going to lose his job unless every single person in the level and the multiple levels below him were gone. He had the nerve to ask me for alimony, while meanwhile I'm part of this company that's unfinanced and basically have no money coming in whatsoever. So it's like, okay, it's time for me to see about getting public assistance for two different reasons, need and strategy. So one thing you should know is that if you're going through a divorce and your spouse has asked you for alimony, well, if they have even a dime to their names and they're not sitting in jail someplace or completely insolvent, If somebody goes on public assistance well the other spouse is gonna have to pay something in alimony so basically because of the fact that he's over here with this union job asking me for alimony while I'm over here staying with total strangers don't know exactly what my life's gonna lead to job hunting like a fiend hustling like a fiend can't find anything despite my best efforts I was like okay this is time to get public assistance It's not time to try to be a brave little soldier. This is time to put your pride and your ego aside and say, okay, time to go do that. And I always felt that applying for public assistance, that's like a cry for help, in my opinion. It's like saying, okay, things are really bad for me. Things are not going well. Here's a situation that I need help here. That's what you're telling people. You're saying, I need help. I'm in trouble. That's how I view it. Honestly, people also make the comment, if you're in the U.S., That people use it as apparently a career. They use this as a way of life. And having done this myself, and I only did this for a very brief time period. I think I was only on it for about two months when I filed. And I just thought to myself, why in God's name would you want to make this a way of life? They have a lot of restrictions. They have a lot of rules. And there's certain things that you can't really get exempt out of unless you have certain things going on in your life. Like for instance, they have a mandatory work requirement. And I remember that I had to go to this job center every day. So I had no problem going to the job center, but the problem was they weren't really prepared to deal with professionals being out of work. So if you were somebody that had a GED or you had just gotten out of prison, or you were somebody that wasn't very highly educated, you'd be able to find a job fairly quickly. Like I'm sure there'd be things you wouldn't be too crazy about. There might be some disrespectful work environments. The rate might not be all that great, but you could find stuff. Like it seemed totally set up for something like that. But if you had a bachelor's, if you had a master's, and God forbid you had law licenses, you were pretty much SOL. And I remember going to this job center, I talked to a few people that were in the position of having bachelor's, of having like these high level jobs, and having lost their jobs, and then being at a point where they've had to apply for public assistance. They've had to go to this job center. And I think most of the people that I met who were professionals, those people are ready, willing, able to have a job. But give them something suitable. Give them something relevant to their pay scale, relevant to their resume, relevant to what they would like to do. And I remember going through there and the person who was the head of getting the jobs that were considered high level, like say administrative assistant or secretarial someplace, like something where you didn't have to do manual labor or work outside, didn't have to do that stuff. So I remember like I was overqualified to do that stuff, severely overqualified. Cause i think at that point i'd been an attorney for quite a number of years i remember as well over five years by that point yeah i'd have to think back and count to myself of how many years it was but i remember talking to this person she's a very sweet woman and said to me you basically need to dumb down your resume and you need to keep quiet because you're very intelligent so you need to see about trying to get one of these jobs as an assistant or a paralegal something like that So you can build your house again and you can have your finances because you've basically had the wind knocked out of you going through divorce. But it honestly felt like to me when I was dealing with that system is in a lot of ways you are punished essentially for being on public assistance. Like I feel like the state kind of has that motive in mind sometimes in doing some of these different things. And I remember I even asked, okay, how am I being helped here by telling me to go apply or basically to do this mandatory work program, but you're not giving me anything relevant to my field. And I'd been told at that time, oh, we're trying to get stuff relevant to people's resumes and education and training and so forth, which I don't know if they've changed that now. And God willing, I won't have to find this out, but if I do, I'm going to be like, okay, why are you not sticking me with legal aid? Why aren't you putting me in an organization where it's actually going to have the benefit of my many, many years of experience and being a licensed attorney? Why are you insisting I pick up garbage alongside the freeway? Like one example of one of the things you could choose from to do this mandatory work assignment was training to become a custodian. Now, my ex-husband had been a custodian when I met him. So it's not in and of itself, oh, it's a bad job or something like that. But it's like I'm a little skinny person with a JD and two law licenses. So yeah, my body is not designed for doing a bunch of manual labor. In fact, I remember going to my primary care doctor and I also went to my therapist and my therapist said, okay, mentally health-wise, you're not, you're not totally effed up mental health-wise, so you can't really get an exemption from the mandatory work, work requirement based on that. But I went to my primary care doctor and he takes a look at me, says to me, you're a paper jockey. You can't do manual labor three days a week because you're paper jockey. You need to be doing something involving your mind, not something where you're picking up garbage you're doing all that stuff. This is not your, this is not for you. So he actually was going to exempt me out of this mandatory work requirement. And I also got in touch with a representative in Queens. I believe they were, I'm not sure exactly what level they were. They may have been with the federal government, but I remember going to their offices. I had to take a bus to get there. And they were like, yeah, that makes no sense if we're talking about the lawyer accessibility gap and you're here on public assistance, but they don't want you to do anything and they're not trying to find you anything related to your field, related to your profession to actually help with this attorney accessibility gap, but instead you're gonna be, they want you to see about cleaning up trash, working outside, doing some kind of menial task that's not helping you and is in fact degrading your resume, degrading your positioning, degrading your ability to network. So. That is a big problem that I have seen in terms of trying to do public assistance and things like that, or at least that's what it was back in 2015. I really don't know if things have changed, but doing some of the things I've done and talking to people, I'm thinking to myself, okay, it seems like more professionals and self-employed people and people who are not necessarily just screw ups in some form of life have been on public assistance or are on public assistance. So I don't know if maybe more of that recognition has happened in the past number of years. I don't know if maybe that's happening more so in New York because I've told people about this in New York and nobody's made me feel shamed. Nobody's made me feel upset or guilty about it. So I'm like, that's a wonderful thing, number one. And number two, I think people are listening a little more to things I was saying many, many years ago and they have decided to join us in reality and join us in the real world so in the meantime having gotten this assistance i'm like okay i need to go get some groceries and i kind of felt like i don't want to put all this on a credit card so kind of a fortuitous event that i got that so i'm like now okay i can do some stuff i can have like a nice birthday outing for myself the train is actually not running either direction in my stop for every single weekend this month and my birthday happens to fall on a weekend so i'm like okay i'll look for things locally that i haven't done like i'll find really nice restaurants i'll I even found like a manicure, pedicure place. Like I found a nail salon that had really good ratings. So I'm like, I'm going to go do that. I'll go do stuff locally because I haven't done as much of that around here. So we'll just kind of have birthday fun close to home. I have a box of yellow cake mix that came with me when I moved. And I'm like, okay, I need to use that cake mix. I'm going to make myself my own cake. And I've actually done that before. If you're a single person, you can just make your cake batter and then you freeze half of it like you could do this with cookies you can do this with some other stuff too but i've done this with cookie dough i've done this with cake batter just make yourself half of your batter half your dough and you've got a nice little amount of food that you can eat before it goes bad and then at some point where you're just really craving cake or you're really craving dough all you gotta do is unfreeze it put that sucker on a cookie sheet put it in your cookie pan stick it in the oven cook it boom there you go and i'm trying to figure out do i want to make half a thing of icing Or do I want to save that and make more frosting later? Like just kind of set that aside, debating on that. But I thought I'm going to make myself some homemade icing. And if you have not had homemade icing, let me tell you, big taste difference right there. I found some wonderful recipes for it too. Like definitely in a lot of these cases, the internet's your friend. So I decided for my birthday, I was like, I'm going to make myself a chocolate banana cake. And we're going to use this yellow cake batter. And we're going to make some nice chocolate icing, some homemade good stuff, you know. And we're going to see about adding banana in there and how do we do it. So I found a really good chocolate banana cake recipe and decided, you know what, I'm going to do that. So I think I still have powdered sugar and I did buy light brown sugar recently because I had to restock that. Had a few things that I was looking at in terms of cooking. of like, okay, do you have vanilla? Do you have this? Do you have heavy whipping cream? I still have to go back to Trader Joe's at some point and get some heavy whipping cream, which by the way, pretty much every grocery store I've seen does take the EBT card, and you basically just use it like a debit card. So you scan it in, you're all set. It's not like back in the day where they gave you stamps or they gave you a sticker and it was a very big and obvious thing and everybody kind of knew it and it was highly stigmatized. Like it definitely was stigmatized when I was growing up. My family didn't really have it. I think we had one relative that had them one time and gave them to us. I don't know why they did that I guess it was one of those oh we see you're struggling but we know you're not going to ask for public assistance so we're just going to give you that. So my sister's had to go on WIC before I know some of that situation so I've seen that. But honestly you would really not want to make a life of it because you have that mandatory work requirement. You have all kinds of restrictions on things you can't make more than a certain amount of income a month in order to keep it. You don't, I don't know that they do as much. And I know that back in the day, they definitely didn't promote as much in you trying to get an education. I feel like, you know, you don't have the environmental change, which I actually have been doing this one course. And we were just at a seminar where the owner of this course talked about having meet up basically, what is it called? I think it was like mindset or it's like accountability groups, basically. So it was mastermind groups and there are these things you have to pay for that cost thousands of dollars a month and people talk about, oh, you have to have a screening and investment so you can find these level four and level five people, the people who are successful or people who are at your level where it's like they're a little smarter than you and you're not the dumbest in the room or you might be the absolute dumbest. And there's the theory that, oh, some of these people who have a bunch of money and they're making six and seven and eight figures. Oh, they can benefit from somebody like you, even though you're not making that stuff because you've got other stuff in your life that is intact. And you have values that are aligned in other ways. Like you might have good health. You might have a great family relationship. You might have wonderful support structures. You might prioritize things in a way that they don't. Which I think there's validity and cause for that. And I'm thinking to myself, now, how do we make that in a way to be accessible for people who are on public assistance? How do you make it accessible for people that really want to try and they want to do better for themselves, but they're being stymied by environment? They're not having people there to encourage them. They're not having that backup. They're being surrounded by negativity. How do you fix that? So I'm thinking this is one of the conversations I'm going to have with some of these nonprofits that have reached out to me on things. That's one of the things I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about this lived experience that I've had and ask them, hey, how do we make that happen? And I plan, yeah, I'm definitely going to talk about some of my experiences of what did I do when I was on public assistance before, what are my plans on some of that now. That basically could end up being its whole book and its own story. But I would tell you definitely the internet is your friend on so many things. And there were things I didn't even know about. In fact, I even found out something recently on federal student loans Which I spoke with my servicer and I have done my consolidation application which I'd never done and thank God I did not consolidate my student loan debt with my ex-husbands because that just would have been a big fat mess going through a divorce but it's just been nice that I've discovered some different things and it's like okay we're not necessarily living in debt the rest of our lives we don't have to die as debt slaves so that was basically another mind-blowing realization that I had but There's definitely some, I definitely say there's no shame if you have to be on public assistance in this country, okay? It is a cry for help. That's all it is. You're just saying, hey, I need help. You're showing people you need help. And hopefully people do help you. And I'll tell you that from my own experiences dealing with staff there, I've never felt stymied, shamed, insulted. Most of the time, that's not happened. So hopefully, if you're in that boat and you're wondering about it, I would say do it because... You need to at least put it out there. You need to try and help yourself because other people, they'll at least make you feel better about it.